Hello pod fans, it's Paul Newbegin from The Past Podcast with your latest episode. So uh, in this episode I travelled all the way down to Padstow in Cornwall to meet none other than Paul Ainsworth. Wow, what a fantastic guest. Um, And we actually ate at restaurant number six the night before the interview, so I actually kind of got to do a little bit of a fresh review, if you like, about how we found our meal. And even more exciting, about halfway through eating my main there was a hush amongst the restaurant in which um, I turned around to see Gordon Ramsay taking a seat which was quite incredible but I had to resist I thought I'd let him enjoy his meal in peace and I didn't go over with a microphone or didn't go over begging to appear on the show but you never know you know it always helps to have a goal so uh, enjoy this episode of Paul Ainsworth and I'll be back at the end so make sure you listen all the way to the end because this year I'm going to do a little teaser into who's coming next week so enjoy this one and I'll be back at the end bye bye does it kind of feel like different now does it feel like you've got like a kind of different role in the kitchen when I first opened number six that was 2005 there was uh three of us in the kitchen and two out front uh and that was it and yeah you're hands-on and you're you know you're on a mission um and I'm still on a mission now, but obviously it's grown, but I always wanted it to grow, and it's not grown because it's it's almost I've like lost control of it. Grown, it's grown because I always wanted to be um, like a chef, you know, a chef patron that was somebody that could teach people and nurture people and grow people and grow a business. I, you know, I never had any aspirations to just be sort of you know ten fifteen cover restaurant and just me me in the kitchen with a, you know a couple of others. I enjoy, I enjoy the whole the whole thing about being a restaurateur. I love the. I love coming up with the dishes with the boys. I love watching the boys grow. I love seeing the amount of people over the years that have arrived as sort of this type of person, and then you can see they become like the best version of themselves. Yeah. And growing people like that for me is hugely, hugely rewarding, just as it is coming up with, you know, the dishes and 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 working with the seasons and, and being so passionate about the food. I'm also very, very passionate about the people. And for me, business is about people. Yeah. Uh, when you come into this industry, you know, it's not, it's not the most financially rewarding industry. Um, it, it, it's a lot of hours and, you know, and, you know, it can become financially rewarding if you, but you have to do things outside of that, you know, and you have to do things outside of that to make it all work, you know, and stuff. So when you're running restaurants and for me, you know, running, you know, running two restaurants and a small hotel, you know, I, lo- I love it for the, I love it for the people. I love it for the, for the buzz of it, the thrill of it. Um, and it is, it is hard, hard work. And yeah, my role has, my role has changed, you know, but I'm, I'm here every single day at number six. I never, ever, that's why we didn't change the name of Rajano's. Rajano's was actually um, named after a guy called Stanley Rajano, who was a restaurateur back in the seventies in Padstow. And we kept that name because I always knew from the beginning that I wasn't ever going to sort of put my name above it as well and make it feel like I might be there or in two places at once. I make, I make no, uh, I make no, um, bones that I'm, that I'm there, you know, 
I'm here. I mean, I'm here at number six. And Rajano's is an incredible business and I love it to pieces and I'm in it every single day and I go over and see the boys. But I, you know, like, I rarely work a service there because there's an amazing team there and, and people expect me to be here at number six because it's called Paul Langsworth at number six. And that it's for me hugely important that you know that when people come to number six that I am here you know at the same time but then there's times when I can't be in two places at once and you know I'm it's tough going running a restaurant in Padstow uh, it's tough going running a restaurant anywhere but when you know you haven't got that London you haven't got that London microclimate that you have you haven't got that London bubble that is that is you know 365 days a year you know you know, you want to know, you know, you want to know what hard is, you know, open a restaurant in the outer <laughs> regions and, you know, and kind of, you know, and when you're sort of, you got to fight for that business, you know, like, you know, like, and, and Padstow, you know, if, if the calendar, if the calendar year falls a bit strange, if Easter become, if Easter's very, very early, if the weather's really poor in that February half term, then you've got that big gap till Whitson, then, you know, it, it's very, very tough to kind of claw it back. And a restaurant like Number 6 isn't a restaurant that, you know, that is sort of, you know, got a load of university students studying and then sort of working. It's full of career people. And those career people are, you know, those career people, they have to be paid. The business still has to run with all those people. I don't want guests to come here and it's just new faces all the time. It's not one of those restaurants. It has to be a team that bond and become a family and then that's how we build, you know, ultimately build, you know, incredible consistency. So, yeah, you know, those things that pull me away from the business are not, you know, I have no desires to be, you know, to be, you know, someone that I don't want to be famous. You know, you do the television to make people aware, to build the profile, to to kind of, when people are coming to Cornwall, think, oh, yeah, I like, you know, I saw that guy, I liked what he cooked, you know, let's go and, you know, let's go and check his place out. Um, because it's a different kind of thing, isn't it? It's not about being a personality. It's about raising awareness, raising awareness, you know, because January is a hard month. February is a hard month. November is a hard month. Padstow's not a Christmassy town, you know, (laughs) it becomes, you know, it has a nice busy period after Christmas for a week, uh, when generally the second homeowners come down, but you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's exactly like you say. It's about raising the awareness, raising the profile. And that's where the TV bits come in. That's where the media bits come in, you know, and, and that's where, and I'm also trying my hardest to sort of like, you know, as a five year plan and, you know, don't, I'm never going to be quoted on this. And that's why I say never say never. But at the moment, I tried to make it Fortress Panther. I tried to make this sustainable. And I, you know, I do. I have a couple of consultancies, you know, out, you know, elsewhere that, you know, that also pay the money that, you know, that then goes straight back into the business. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I can sort of sustain this on being Fortress Padstow and not having to sort of, you know, put my name in other places or further afield, Mm -hmm. then the chances are that when you, you know, that when you do come to, you know, when you do come to number six, you know, I'm going to be here and, and I know that it's a shock because it's amazing how many customers can't believe that you're here. You know, and I, you know, and for me, you know, if I can be in my restaurant, you know, 90% of the time, then I'm happy with yeah, that. That's a pretty, you know, that's a, especially for when you, you know, you do have commitments. That's quite a, quite a good success rate, really. Yeah. So my guest is Paul Ainsworth. Thank you so much for joining me. You were talking about TV work just there. And obviously I was aware from you from before on Great British Menu, but. Shall I pause for now? No problem. 
Yeah, so, I was, you know, obviously I'm aware, aware of you from Great British Menu, but I think I kind of speak on behalf of the whole country, certainly speak on behalf of myself, that I completely fell in love with you last year on MasterChef. <laughs> and I remember there being actually tabloid news at the time, like Paul Ainsworth does something shocking and is like the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. Did you have good fun doing that? I had amazing fun doing it, but um, I think what people saw there was is that, like, you know, my wife will, you know, my wife will vouch for this. You know, I'm a, you know, it's just in my nature. I'm a, I'm a real like control freak, and and I wanted, I wanted to go anything I do. I try and, uh, you know, I want it to be the very, very best it can be. You know, I just want everything to be the, be- you know, the best it can be, and. That was a great example, I think, of what people saw. That that was just genuine. Like I, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a TV program to me. It was we had a job to do. Mm. But at the same time, I wasn't just going to sit back and kind of say, "Well, okay, well, here's the five dishes. It's up to you now." Mm. You know, like I, from the moment we got there to the moment we left, and we were there the day before, and you know, and a lot of long hours went into, you know, from everybody, the the people that make that show, um, you know, me, John, everything, the contestants. And we, I just wanted it to be like, like the standard it, it is here at number six for the American ambassador, the, you know, the founder of Wikipedia, this music mogul guy, you know, some yeah, really amazing people in the room, you know, and, to be at the American embassy, you know, like the secret service sort of like walking the grounds, the whole <laughs> thing was just amazing. But it, that's, that's, that's what I think people saw. That was a real opportunity to see that's, that is how I am, a, you know, as a person, like I, I wanted those guys to absolutely smash it. And I was the sixth, I was a sixth chef, John, <laughs> John as well, John, you know, seventh chef. There was, there was seven of us for, you know, okay. It's about the five of them. They're the ones that have got to, they're the ones that have got to do the business, but there was no way I could just kind of almost sit back. And, you know, and there was points where, you know, the director was sort of saying, listen, you, you know, you, you got to hold back a bit. You got to let them, you know, let, you know, <laughs> you're let, like, go yeah, let, you know, let them, t- you know, let them, you know, get on with it as well. The other bit that I think goes with that is, you, you know, like you gotta, you gotta understand. I think you've got, I think you've got to be, you know, I think that I understand people well. I think I can, I think I'm very good at sort of reading, you know, reading situations and understanding people. That's like what I said earlier. And like, I'm not going to go in there and, and be like on their cases to a point that it's just not nice. There, you've got a DJ, an NHS, you know, junior doctor, mm. uh, a, P, um, a PR, um, PR and marketing, um, girls. Like they're, they're under enough pressure as it is, you know, and cooking's a hard thing to do under pressure. It really, really is. And when you're like, you know, you've got cameras around you and that, to get the best out of them, it was, it was to sort of nurture them and make them feel that like I'm with them, mm. that they're not on their own, that they've got me as a safety net, that we're going to get through this together and we're going to blow the ambassador and his guests away. And, and I think that when you're in all of that, you can't pretend to be nice. You can't, you can't like, you can't think, oh yeah, that'll get edited out or that or that. You, you just got, you, you, cause it's not, it's, it's full on. Same as Great British Menu. Yeah. You, you're you. And if you're, if you're a fiery, nasty sort of, you know, very sort of egotistical driven chef, then that's never gonna, that's never gonna like be hidden. That's just going to come through. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and like at number you know it, you know at number six don't make any you know any you know bones if things aren't right then you know the boys will know about it and and that's how you have a standard you know that's that's how you win you know that's how you kind of achieve things and that by not being oh yeah well, don't worry about it mate well, you know we'll, next time we'll sort it out of course it doesn't you know you don't get it you don't you don't win a Michelin star by by kind that of having be. that sort of that you know you you know and that's not to that's not to say well oh yeah it can only be in a nasty environment or fit not at all but it's a very strict firm you know discipline and I try to run the kitchens in the same way that I was brought up you know my, my dad brought me up in a very strict but fair kind of you know kind of household and that's just in me and I'm very lucky enough. I have not worked for like lots and lots of chefs. You know, I, mm. I did it, you know, my path was, I wasn't interested in get, doing six months a year and then just kind of packing my bags and drifting off and trying to see what some other chef does. I sort of very carefully picked who I wanted to work for. And then I gave them utter loyalty for a long time. And what I learned was, was I wasn't just interested in how they cooked. I was, I, I loved how they, how they were and how they just everything just sort of almost studied them as as people and I think that that's really benefited me and also in you know in my upbringing that like firm but fair mm. um and and genuinely you know getting getting the best out of people if it has to be a raised voice if it has to be if it has to be a serious bollocking then it's gonna then that that's that's, that's no problem but in a sh- situation like that we just want to make it the best so like Alison, uh, you know, her tart cases were nowhere near ready. You know, she thought they were ready. We're ready to go on starters. You know, the the film crew, the director, you know, he's like, right, we've got to go. And that was, I think, the bit that people really, yeah, I you know, really kind of, you know, got. It's all right, they'll wait. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, it, and it's kind of, but again, you know, it's not like, oh, yeah, all right, they'll wait because they're, because they'll get it when they'll get it. It's like, they're not cooked. Okay, they're not ready. So what we're going to do? We're going to serve. We're going to serve it shit, mm. or we're going to serve it like the best we can serve it. So if we're going to serve it the best we can serve it, they need to wait five ten minutes mm. for it to be amazing, mm. and that's the mentality. Mm. Um, and that was you know, and that was things that you know that I learned. You know that I learned. You know, working in great kitchens, working with people like Gordon Ramsay. I can hear him now. You know, in the past, like you know, it was like if it's not good enough, it's not going into the dining room. I'd rather the he, he would be. The, I'd rather the guest wait another ten fifteen minutes and get this dish to you know absolute brilliance than just serve it because that just keeps that just keeps yeah. the you know the flow of the service and that's a mentality. That's what's called standards. Yeah. And and it basically it all boils down to consistency and standard. But someone like that, I can imagine him saying ten minutes wait, but I can't imagine him doing the sort of bit which you did, which is that putting the shoulder, you know, putting the arm around the shoulder and sort of being this comforting. And I, you know, his persona on TV is this sort of shouty, sweary, this that, and yours is the complete opposite. So did you learn how to be you in that environment still? Um, yeah, well, like, you know, for the record, um, Gordon is like that. Um, and I think the thing that you have to separate with Gordon is, is that, you know, Gordon is, you know, Gordon is, you know, he's a hard man, you know, he's a hard, hard man. But every time something went wrong and I was working for Gordon, it, it was followed up afterwards. And what I learned from that was, was that 
it's, 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 you know, it's Gordon Ramsay restaurant. Mm. Um, and at the time it wasn't Paul Ainsworth restaurant. And that would be what he would explain to me at the end of the service. You know, it's not the office environment. We can't sort of go off into the photocopying room and just have a little chat about it. It's, <laughs> it's there and then they're sat in the dining room. Expectation is so high. They're waiting. Just everything about it is, that's what makes a restaurant such a, such a, you know, such an, an, an incredible, but also hardcore environment. And so, so yeah. So although people see, you know, shouty, fiery, sweary, kind of, you know, like Gordon and stuff, you know, they're television shows and especially yeah. the American ones, they are television shows. But what I did learn from, you know, like learn from Gordon was that follow up, that kind of, that, do you know why? Do you know why that was had to have that bollocking tonight? Do you know why? And oh, every single time, come downstairs, come here, let's have five minutes and go through it with me. One thing, you know, I, that I probably sort of always told myself was that that where I would see sort of say other chefs would be like, do you know what? Like, I know that you can you can get the best you can get the best out of people by actually having like a cool environment by like you don't need to work in, you know, you don't need to work in silence. You don't, you, you can have a radio on in there, you know, you can have a radio on in, on in the background. You can have a chat with each other. You can, you can have a bit of banter. You can have a bit of fun, but making sure that the standard of the mise en place is out of this world. Cause that's the bit that, you know, the service actually should be relatively straightforward. Yeah, yeah. The hardest bit. And it's, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the old cliche. It's that saying, you know, you know, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Well, that is it in our environment. Um, because if you haven't got that mise en place absolutely spot on, then forget service. Mm. You know, it's all in the mise en place. And then service should be relatively straightforward. Yeah, because you've done all the hard work. Yeah, and that's where we put so much of the focus because people, you know, yeah, we're, we're people can see us now at number six. We're behind the glass. You can sort of see in. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, there wasn't, you know. And, and I think people almost think that we should all be screaming and <laughs> I should be swearing at them all and, and you know, and, you know, and like, you know, you know, beating them with a, you know, with a, with a stick and far, you know, far from it. And, and you were last night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also as well, again, you've got, you know, I take into, you know, like, well, that, what's that what's that gonna you know what's that gonna do yeah. you know again talking about you know i run a business in padstow i'm not in a city there's nowhere for these boys to instantly go and let off steam and go for a nightclub when they finish work they walk out into a town that is you know shut down mm. finish for Quiet. the night they haven't got a tesco express they can go and get you know a can of pop and a and a sandwich and just chill down like what we when I used to finish in London you know that's what we do or when it was the end of the week we go to a late night drinking bar or something like that there's there's none of that so again it's it's forward thinking you know like like you know got an, an amazing team of boys here I want to look after them you know I don't want to you know and so you, you that changes your management style you know the location of where we are and what we and what we do is also you know leads to kind of like well got a nice nice bunch of boys here you know and also as well there's it's harder to get you know chefs I mean there's a big chat about skills shortage and stuff like that you know I've got five I'm in Padstow right now currently now on the 4th of April I've got five chefs on a waiting list like trying to get into you know wanting a job here at number six it's heartbreaking and 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 they've all done stages and they all done really well they've all cooked a dish they're all I've got physically got no space yeah um, and they were good boys. They were really, really good boys. 
And when I think about it, I think, this is insane. It wasn't too long ago. I'm talking, you know, even two, three years ago where, you know, it was hard going, you know, hard, hard going and that and stuff. And now where the where the restaurant is as a business and where everything is, it that's, you know, that's amazing. So for me, I think that like, yeah, okay, there could be some truth in, in saying it's a skill sh- shortage. But what I think, I think it's a deeper problem than that. I, I think it's a problem of quality of life. Mm. Um, and for me, I think that, and it's and and it's very, very hard for restaurants to kind of try and, for as long as, when I came into this career, my dad said to me, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure that's what you need? Chefs, chefs work unsociable hours. <laughs> he was like, whilst you're working, all your mates are going to be out having a good time. Yeah. And that was then, and, and 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 you knew that you knew what you were signing up for, just in the same way you know what you're signing up for if you join the army or if you join whatever. You 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 should know what you're signing up for, and then that's whether you got to make that decision, whether you make your bed and lie in it. And I think now that we live in a world where, you know, when I was saying like I got a brilliant boy downstairs, you know, Mason, he's 19. When I was Mason's age, I couldn't look at a device and sort of see just see the world so quickly and, and in this express way. So I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know what like my mates were doing here or I didn't know what was happening at Pierre Kaufman's at the time because that was a restaurant or, you know, Marco Pierre White at the Oak Room or, you know, I didn't, I didn't know like what was going on in those. So it was like, right, okay, well, I want to go work for, you know, I want to go work for Gordon Ramsay and that's what I want to do. And so I... I, I see now in a lot, in, in a lot, certainly, you know, in, you know, in that kind of like, you know, post-millennial mm. that they're almost like, they find it hard to make a decision. Mm. It's almost like because they can see so much and that might, you might say, well, that's good. But then also that can sometimes I think kind of hamper you back a little bit. Whereas for me, it was like, right, well, no, okay. You know, at the time there was, in, you know, there was, there wasn't tons of restaurants like there are in London but, you know, there was Marco with three stars. There was Nico with three stars at 90 Park Lane. Mm. And there was Pierre Kaufman with three stars at Royal Hospital Road. And it was Gordon Ramsay with two stars at Aubergine. But it was like, all you had was your mates working in these restaurants. Yeah. You know, oh, what's it like there? And I, and I made the decision to go work for Gordon Ramsay in the same way I made the decision to go work for Gary Rhodes. Mm. And... I gave them long, long kind of, you know, long sort of stints of loyalty. And I I never, ever worked from thinking about what else was there. Mm. I just wanted, I just thought, I'm in, I'm in a brilliant place. And I wasn't a brilliant place because in most chefs' lifetime, they'll never probably work in a restaurant where they see it go from two to three stars. Yeah. And to be a part of that, and I was at Royal Hospital Road for a year and a half before it went from two to three. And to be a part of that will be will stay with me for the rest of my life to see um, like Gordon a man kind of win his you know three Michelin stars and to be a part of that team and to be there that night when the three you know three men from Michelin were there and Gordon came back into the kitchen and you know and he and he told us but he said like you know you might, it has to stay in in this kitchen and it's going to it will be announced tomorrow and that was just you know it was phenomenal yeah, absolutely phenomenal yeah and and the point I'm trying to make is I knew that I was, I knew that like I was working 
I was working for the best You're doing something special. and I was working for, yeah, I was working for one of the best chefs in the, you know, in the world. And, and that's what, you know, I say to, you know, young lads and that like, try not to keep, try not to be distracted. Just think, you know, like right now, you know, right, right. Okay. I'm going to, you know, I want to go work for, you know, I want to go work for Sat Baines. I want to go work for Tom Carriage. I want to go work for Claw Bozzy, Daniel Clifford, you know, Brett Graham, you know, there's so many, you know, you know, these are, I think, yeah, that, that's what I'm going to do. Get in there and get your head down. It's going to be hard, but mm. give, you know, give the little, give the loyalty. And, and that's what I did, you know, just work for the, you know, work, work for the best. Go put, get your head down and just really, really go for it and not try not to sort of get too distracted by sort of social media and, and, you know, what's going on there and stuff. And, and, and don't just take it for, oh, you know, like learning, you know, learning the dishes and that. Like look at it as a whole, yeah. as a whole kind of picture. And then you, and then you start to build your picture, your own picture. And that for me, I think is what really, really helped me. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't distracted by anything else other than just working as hard as I could in giving the very, very best I could to the environment that I was in. I want to come back to your career, but I also want to come to your menu. So what I asked you to do is think of five favorite dishes. Uh, and I wondered if you could talk me through a couple of the dishes that you've chosen for your menu and why you've chosen them. Okay, so the first dish has to be because it's it's the first it's the first most incredible food memory I have, um, and it was when I got to when I got to Gary Roads. I'd been there about five or six months, and there was this bread and butter pudding, and it, and it looked incredible. It just looked like the most beautiful, richest custard. I'd never, I'd never worked with proper vanilla. I'd never seen like actual proper, beautiful, <laughs> you know, Madagascan vanilla. But I, ne- I hadn't tasted it. I hadn't got near it. Um, and it was, it was just the pastry chef that dealt with it in the pastry section. And lunch and dinner, they would make one for lunch, one for dinner, depending on how busy we were. And sometimes you might not sell any. And that would just kind of like, that would just go up for, you know, like, I don't know where it went, but I was like an apprentice kind of, you know, pretty, you know, it, it, I was going to say it went up for, um, it went up for staff tea, but it didn't because I never tasted it. You were trying and, to chase it. Yeah. Anyway, one day the pastry chef just called me over and it was almost a bit like acceptance as well. The pastry chef called me over and said, you know, do you want to, you know, do you want to try it? And that. And I tried it and I just remember like the first spoonful and still to this day, nothing has ever kind of like, like literally knocked me for sick like what that did. And then as I grew as a chef, I then understood what, what he had done and what made it for me so special. Not only was it incredible, but there's very few chefs that actually like change things and invent things. Mm. And Gary was one of those, just like Heston with all the things Heston's done for gastronomy, you know, gastronomy, it, like just take one thing that Heston's done and that's the triple cooked chip. He's actually, he's actually, you know, he's actually invented something. He's actually created something that wasn't created before. And in our industry, we think that we may have come up with something new, but the chances are it, it has been done before. So for me, that what Gary did was, was, it looked at something and thought, well, rather than just taking bread and butter and pouring a, a milk and cream and egg mixture over it and cooking it in the oven and the raisins look like rabbits, you know, rabbits um, droppings <laughs> on top and the whole thing's curdled. He, he applied the process of it of like a creme brulee. And 
the wobble and the beautiful consistency of the custard and the sugar that was caramelized on top, giving you the bitterness. And the whole thing for me is still to this day one of, is, is one of, is one of the most incredible things I've ever eaten. But it's, it's the number one, it's the first dish I'm telling you because it's the first food memory yeah, I have of have. like, it, it, it was like I was I was 18 years old and it was like I have never put anything in my mouth like this. And what sounds so simple is yeah. really. Not- and I was trying like the you know the the, the complete dish. Second, uh, when I went to work um, for Gordon, apple tartar, um, and for me, just the simplicity of it: 50 grams of butter, 50 grams of sugar beautiful pink lady apples make sure you're using the right apple that's got you know it's got a, a very good dry matter so not a wet apple pink lady works very very well um a brayburn and beautiful incredible puff pastry and at royal hospital road we would just simply serve it with you know vanilla ice cream butterscotch sauce and again when i tried it i was just like and I'm not, you know, it's not because I've got a sweet tooth. These are just things that are like, they were just like, oh my God. Yeah. And that's why both these dishes are on my menu now, mm. but they're my interpretation. You know, my interpretation of the apple tartar tan is that I've taken it down a road of, you know, of being inspired by my dad. You know, my dad was a, nor- a northern man from Lancashire and I grew up eating cheese with like things like apple pie and fruitcake. So we've adapted it like that the bread and butter pudding, I've done my own version of it um, and sort of taking, but still keeping the essence of what blew me away when I, when I tasted it at um, Gary Rhodes. I literally had that last night. She absolutely loved it. She said it was the dish of the, the day. Yeah. First, the bread and butter pudding yeah. was amazing. Yeah. She so, like, literally wanted to try the smallest bit because she wanted the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, we've sort of, yeah, we've kind of, and we've kind of put our own, you know, our own sort of spin amazing. on it. And, it you know, we, we use brioche. We've done a brioche and the custard and we soak the, we soak the raisins in Pedro Jimenez. But the bit that, the bit that as an 18 year old taking that spoon in there and being allowed to try it, you know, and the, and the way we do the, the bitter cocoa disc on top, you know, cause we're trying to reduce the sweetness slightly and to let the flavor of the vanilla come through and not be masked by the sugar. Um, and, and also all the things that I know now about cookery, I've now put into that, but still kept the, still kept that exact same feeling that I had when I was 18 and I tried it. Third dish, um, we do a bone-in rib that we've worked on for a very, very long time with our butchers, um, Philip Warren. Uh, I'm extremely proud of it. It's something that I've never, ever... I've. It was almost like the first time that I'd ever got that close to the farmer, mm. to the butcher, and then for us being that middle person or... You know, yeah, or or if you like, near to the end, uh, the customer being the end user. But that relationship, and it didn't happen overnight. It took a long time. But now, for me, we have got, like, I feel for one of the best pieces of beef on the planet. Uh, we've got our own racks, it, um, Philip Warren, selected, you know, with our, um, our own beef. We're not breed Pacific. We just want, you know, if that's come from a Dexter and it's world class, let's bring it let's get it let's get it let's get let's start putting it through the aging process that we do with philip warren if it's a red ruby if it's a hereford if it's a um you know a belted galloway doesn't matter as long as it's 
absolutely delicious. It's got all the characteristics that we're looking for in that uh, bone-in rib. So for me, that, triple cooked chips and Bernays sauce. That would, that for me is a match made in heaven. I just love it like that salty, beautiful caramelized beef, you know, with just a, you know, really heavily seasoned on the outside. (laughs) Crispy, beautiful, almost slightly hollow. I love chips when they're kind of almost slightly hollow, really crispy, little bit of fluffiness on the inside. And then just an beautifully made thick, has to be thick. So, so you can, so it's got texture. So you can all, so you can put it, spoon it on and it holds. Okay. I, I hate it when hollandaise is anything other than that. And, and when it's runny or it's a sauce consistency. Uh, and then that chervil, that tarragon with the beef. Um, and just those three things together are just blow my mind. <laughs> Absolutely blow my mind. My ultimate, ultimate comfort food, you know, like, you know, when people say to me, oh, you know, like eating naughty and that, you know, and it's not, you know, it's not like, you know, kind of junk food or anything like that. Like, is a pizza. Um, and I'm talking like, I'm talking like a proper pizza, mm. you know, a Neapolitan style pizza, or I'm loving like the, you know, the sort of American Italian style pizza. I think, you know, like, especially in New York, you know, I'm, I'm dying to get to Roberta's and Lucali and places like that. And like, for me, a pizza is such a clever, clever thing. Because <laughs> I just I just think that, like, you know, I just think that umami and that acidity that you're getting from that incredible tomato sauce, that wonderful, beautiful dough that's been properly made, and then again, some slightly, that little saltiness and that coming from world-class, beautiful, you know, buffalo mozzarella, and then just finish with some beautiful basil. You know, and I like it. I don't just always go for that kind of margarita style. I like it, you know, like sometimes to change it up a little bit. You know, we, we got some amazing, incredible combinations going on it. Um, you know, Reggiano's in the square, but just the actual essence of a pizza. If you actually look at a pizza and think, do you know what? That isn't, that isn't just some, ju- that isn't junk food. That isn't something that's just, you know, anyone can do to make pizza beautiful. And when you see, you know, there's some brilliant programs on it at the moment, like David Chang's Ugly Delicious. The first episode is about pizza. Uh, there's a whole six part series on, on Sky, you know, dedicated to sort of pizza. And I, I find them fascinating. I love how much goes into it and the thought process into it. So for me, like that would be on my menu, like, and like, a, just a beautiful, the most amazing tomato sauce, the most amazing mozzarella, this incredible, beautiful dough cooked in a, gorgeous wood-fired oven finished with olive oil parmesan and basil like perfect yeah that for me is that for me is the ultimate yeah and uh it's great as well to hear a, a chef of your caliber talk so passionately about pizza because it just shows that you can love food at every level and that's kind of what i always say is that i love food no matter what it is if it's good food then it's good yeah do you know what it's funny like like i had a really you know like again a, a, a 
the top, you know, top chef and one that I just, you know, is an absolute inspiration. I have so much admiration for is Jason Averton. Mm -hmm. And Jason Averton was, you know, was down last October with his family. And we spent like every morning together where he was staying at the townhouse, eating at Reggiano's number six. We'd have coffee every morning. We just chat away very much like me and you are now, you know, talking about the industry, putting the world to rights. (laughs) And Jason, you know, he summed it up. It, It was like, we were talking about Reggiano's and he was like, you know, like, I actually, when I did that restaurant, thought, am I doing the right thing? You know, does a chef like myself who cooks the sort of food we do at number six do stuff like that? And we were having this conversation, like what we do at Regano's, and it was like, that's when you, that's when you really do genuinely love food. Because if you're just, if you're just, if you're just into food because you want it to, you want it to win accolades Mm. and you want it to be, you know, you want it to kind of look good and that's all you do, then, for me, I don't think you genuinely love food, mm. you know, and and that's why, like, whether it's a pizza, whether it's whether it's a burger, if it's done properly and you apply all those thought processes and skills, then that for me is what you know. That for me is what makes that, that that's what it's all about. Like, I just love food. You know, if it's something as simple as a beautiful, you know, if a beautiful, you know, Parma ham or a or a beautiful, beautifully made English ham, you know, or you know, or like like when Heston did that series, you know, in search of perfection, you know, and just take took chili con carne, pizza, fish and chips, you know, and all those kind of like sort of staple domesticated dishes, and just applied like an amazing kind of thought process to them, and just made them amazing. And that and that's that's I think when you you know you just love food. It's you know it's not just all about kind of you know, high end haute cuisine. It's, it's for me about like loving food. And that was, and that's why I love Reggiano's as much as I love number six, because I get, I love going over there with the boys and menu testing and trying out new pizza combinations and working on the burger, you know, as much, as hard as we work on the bone in rib that we've worked with Warren's and our short rib, we do exactly the same with the burger mm. it was because we make our own burgers. I mean, you know, it's free, we use free cuts, we age those free cuts and then we make our own burgers at Regiano's. And I get so much, I love that aged and getting that burger as much as I do the bone in rib yeah. at number six. Well, I, I always say like, if you're in football, you've got your big flair, big name, Messi, Ronaldo players, but then you've got your real hardworking grafters that, you love equally yeah and everybody kind of plays a part to make a team and you know uh, catering is like a team you're all you know you have really good friends in the industry and your friends like you know tom carriage or sat bands the people that you mentioned they do completely different things to what you're doing but it all adds into a whole doesn't it yeah um it's funny you mentioned football i love football um, so, <laughs> you know, so, but if, it, it, for those that are like, oh, you know, yawn, I don't like football. Um, it, it's not so much, you know, like about liking football. We actually, I actually take football and exactly like what you're saying and actually look at the, the management of football, the way that a team has to work. Yeah. And I use football because football's a great, a great example because it has a manager. And then it has to have a team of players mm. that have to go on and do the business. And that's exactly like where, you know, like where this has grown. The manager is not going on the pitch and playing the game. Mm. And at the same time, in all kitchens, 
you know, you're going to have the person whose name is above the door is going to be generally on the path. So, you know, managing or in the business, managing it and making sure that that business is, you know, running to run into absolute excellence. And that's what we, and that's what, that's why I use it so much because the manager is so, if you like, you know, you're not always going to have the football, the football manager kind of like, you know, sometimes you'll have a player manager, but rarely, yeah, you know, exactly. you're going to have a manager that is kind of, he set it up and he's told his team how he thinks this needs to be played. And that's what we do as restaurateurs, mm. you know, so you're not necessarily going to be on the stove, you know, cooking that or doing this, but you're tasting it and you're making sure it's brilliant. So you're passing that knowledge on. Um, and we use that as a, as a huge, as a, or I certainly do those analogies and those thought processes. And I, you know, and I read lots of autobiographies or, you know, for me, Sir Alex Ferguson is the greatest. Um, and that was because, and when you read his books and you, I've watched things on, I've watched some forums he's done. I've watched things on YouTube that he does and he explains his thought processes and how he does it and how he runs it. And I, I take so much of that, try to put that into the businesses. So you've got one more dish to add to your menu, so I want you to do that. And then I want you to think of the five dishes, which is your favourite. So if we had a specials board of your menu, which would you put on your specials board? So if you talk us through your last dish, then you've got to choose a favourite. Okay. Uh, last dish for me, um, again, done properly, is is a beautiful British roast dinner. Mm. Um, and again, you, you just, because you grow up on roast dinner, you think, oh really, I want something more special. How can you get any more special than that? Here, certainly, we cook in a very classical way. Let's start with the potatoes. Beautiful parboiled potatoes, cooking them almost like a fondant. Seasoning, cooked in beautiful, you know, use beef fat, use duck fat, nice and crispy. Bit of mustard powder on there, garlic, thyme, rosemary. Oh, my God, absolutely amazing. Move on to the meat. Whatever meat you want it to be, go out and get the most beautiful piece of meat you can get your hands on. Even if it's down to a chicken, brine the chicken. Then, then roast it, get that skin nice and crispy, the meat almost firm, but so juicy because of what the salt has done to the, to the, um, to the brining process of the chicken. An amazing shoulder of lamb pulling it apart or a beautiful piece of beef cooked pink. Then move on to the vegetables, you know, go out, you know, if you've got a local farm shop, if you've got someone that, if, you, if there's a local veg grower near you and that, and go and select those vegetables. Then with your whatever your meat is, make a beautiful sauce from the bones. That is everything that we're doing here every day. It's not just a roast dinner that your mum might have done that you think, oh, it's just roast dinner. That that there, right there, is is and it's not about getting fancy about it, but if you if you do beautiful roast potatoes cooked in a in a in a beautiful in a beautiful fat, an amazing piece of meat, beautifully sourced, delicious vegetables, and an absolutely cracking sauce for me it's 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 like it's the ultimate and you know and emma my wife you know when she does a roast dinner and you know and she really really like puts so much effort into, i mean uh, probably one of the most amazing things on planet earth for me are roasted onions i love roasted onions roasted onions will always feature somewhere in the number six menu or in what i do and you know, she'll roast the onions, she'll cook the meat on the trivet, you know, beautiful potatoes, you know, then we got like lovely veg, I mean, cauliflower cheese. <laughs> like, again, the ultimate, you know, one of your favourite cheeses, make a beautiful cheese, you know, make a rare bit, something like, you know, a rare bit that has like, you know, it's like glazes, you know, nice rich eggs in there, mustard, 
beautiful cheddar, you know, again, gorgeous cauliflower, like seasoned beautifully, cook it in a little bit of brown butter. Like all of these things are amazing. <laughs> and for me, they're like, it, it's something that will, I'll always love. So if you had to choose one of those five to be your favourite, what would you choose? This is hard, I can tell. It's very hard because you, you, yeah, because they're five things that are very, very different and ultimately I, I, I love, I love them all. Yeah. Um, and they're different as well because I've given you sweet and savoury. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing your I can see your brain ticking. <laughs> if I had to, if I had to choose, yeah. And I think for the absolute ultimate satisfaction, because you could be like, right, bit of that, bit of this, bit of oh yeah, we go back to that, and and for that kind of experience, it would be the roast dinner. I thought you were going to choose that because you were really smiling as you were talking me through it, and. I guess it kind of sums up to me your passion because you look like you say you can go and choose, you can work with a butcher, you can work with these people. Yeah. And it seems to me like you're just such a people person. Um, and this has just been such a fantastic chat. Thank you so pleasure. much for your time. Absolute we had pleasure. the best meal last night. We really loved it. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you in. And uh, to meet you, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks for having me. It's the end of the... Oh, no, I was going to try and do a little song there. It's the end of the podcast. Wow, what a fantastic episode. Really enjoyed that one. And who have we got next week? Wow, that's a good question, to which only I know the answer. But now you're going to know the answer because next week we will be interviewing none other than Adam Handling. Wow! Yes, indeed, Adam Handling. So he, you'll know him from uh, Master Chef Professionals, you'll know him from Great British Menu, and you know him from his number of restaurants, the two restaurants that he's got at the moment, as well as his coffee shop in London. Uh, he has The Frog, so he has Frog E1 in Shoreditch, and he has Frog in Covent Garden. So we're going to talk about owning sort of multiple restaurants, we're going to talk about the Frog brand, and it will be, I can guarantee you, a very interesting chat. So I'll see you next time. In the meantime, obviously send me an email, send me an Instagram, Facebook me, tweet me, whatever you want. See you soon. I love you lots. Series three of the past podcast is as always edited by Adam Linder from Bespoken Podcasting, Craig Fields from Ambient Light, and now the fantastic podcast, Is It Worth It? provides technical support. And my good friend Ruby Chow helps me out with all the bookings. Thanks to all the team.